Debbie Georges, welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about polling showing the black vote moving toward President Trump, Navy Secretary Spencer fired chain of command matters, the Inspector General report, Horowitz report, very interesting developments there, Democrats seeking an impeachment exit strategy, and opportunist billionaire Bloomberg in. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to today's First Five. Polling was out over the weekend, two different polling organizations, both finding that among likely voters, likely black voters in America, President Trump is polling at 34%. One poll, Rasmussen said 34, the other one said 34.5. To be clear, this is a poll among actual likely voters, not just people who say they might vote or generally speaking the broad population, but actual voters, the people who matter. And I want to say this polling is going to make, is already making the Democrat Party very, very nervous. They cannot win national elections without the black vote. I have a quick chart. I have a clip I sent to the wonderful producer, Matt. I want to just show you this one little uh, graph or chart, and it's a little bit hard to see, so I'm just going to tell you what it says. But basically it shows, it runs from the left-hand side, 1992, through the right-hand side, 2014, and across the, you know, up and down is a percentage. That What this is, is this is a study of the percent, the makeup of people who voted Democrat, the demographic makeup of Democrat voters. And it shows you that the Democrats have increasingly, since 1992, relied upon the Democrat vote in significant numbers. And very specifically, in 1992, of the total number of votes that the Democrats got, 1992, about 12% of their total vote was black, was among black voters in America. In 2014, the total of the Democrat votes received from the black community is up to almost 24%. Point being, and as you can see, the top line, well, it's not up there, so I'll just tell you, the top line is the non-black vote, the composition of black voters. The point of this being that the Democrat Party has increasingly relied upon black voters in this country to win a shift of this magnitude, if it were to be accurate, and to hold until the 2020 elections would be profound in the national elections. I want to hit a couple of points about that. Um, there was a, um, a lot of talk, and we talk about in our show, the Candace Owens effect. You now, this Candace Owens, young woman who founded the movement called Blexus, Black and Latina Exit from the Democrat Party. She's making the point in her speeches all over the country that she's asking her fellow black Americans specifically, what is it you think that voting Democrat has gotten for you in the last decades? For decades and decades, uh, black America has largely gone with the Democrat party. She's asking, ask yourself specifically, 
it's kind of a similar thing to the question, the famous question, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Are you better off in any way? And she runs through all sorts of numbers and data, making the bottom line point, it is Democrat policies that the black voters hear the Democrats campaign on, but in reality, those policies do not help the black community in America. This is Candace Owens. She's making that argument. Other stellar longtime black conservatives in this country, Walter Williams, uh, other uh, economists have made these arguments. Larry Elder, a very famous conservative black pundit, have been making these arguments. But it does seem at this time that the arguments are beginning to resonate in the black community in America, at least among those informed and engaged enough to be considered likely voters. The other point I want to make about it is I think there will be a lot of people who are going to crassly claim that this shift, if it's accurate, is really just due to President Trump having signed criminal justice reform. That criminal justice reform was pushed by many black leaders in this country and did bring about a lot of support for the president as he pushed that through. But I think that short changes this shift, what I hope is a genuine shift in the voter base in, in the black community in America. Because it's not just criminal justice reform, although that is one area where President Trump has listened to the voices in the black community and made changes. But the bigger argument that is that is apparently going on with the, um, the bigger argument that's apparently going on and, and kind of beginning to resonate with the black community is Look at what Republican free market policies do. Not just look what President Trump did to bring jobs into the black community. Look what policies, free market policies do. Policies that encourage businesses to come back to America. Po policies that reduce or eliminate unnecessary regulation out of Washington, which has been strangling the business community. Policies that enable black Americans both to find jobs and to be entrepreneurs. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the black entrepreneurship rate is way, way up under President Trump. This is not to be dismissed as simply pandering by President Trump and okay, this time he's going to get more black voters if, if this trend continues through 2020. It's a larger message that the policies President Trump has brought into being. The idea of encouraging government to cut back on regulation, cutting taxes, encouraging businesses to come back to America, actually employment friendly to America policies are what has made our economy so strong, has made the black unemployment rate the lowest in decades. I mean, they break a record almost every time the new numbers are announced. The black unemployment rate, along with the women uh, unemployment rate and Hispanic unemployment rate, continues to go down, meaning more and more Americans of every background are finding jobs. The bigger message of this polling is not just that President Trump, I'm going to wrap up my first five, is not just that President Trump has done a great job, which he has, but that the policies that the conservatives, free market, encouraging of business and the growth of the business community, encouraging a strong entrepreneurial free market economy has actually brought blessings, income, jobs, and a sense of self-reliance and self-worth to more and more people in this country. This is what the message is of this polling and of the speaking uh, by Candace Owens to, and other black conservative leaders in this country, Thomas Sowell being another one. Many black leaders speaking up just saying, forget about personalities, forget about campaign slogans, forget about promises. 
look at the results look at the results of what is happening. And the Democrats not helping themselves at all in this election cycle, and frankly for decades before this, as they continue to encourage illegal immigration, encourage people to come to America illegally, encourage those people to join the welfare rules, join programs that are funded by your tax dollars, those people taking jobs away, especially entry-level jobs away from Americans. And this seems to be finally resonating in the black community in America, realizing why are we supporting the party who continues to bring people to this country illegally and allowing those people or enabling those people to work in this country, make it harder and harder for people who actually are citizens of this country to begin the process of joining this free market economy, joining the American dream. This is a great poll for America, for the future of America, because it's really about policies. And it is a very, very exciting uh, polling right now. I mean, we're only in you know November of 2019. We got uh, elections a year away, but this is great and exciting polling. And it's very exciting, especially as we can continue to tie it to the policies that are being explained and encouraged more and more by black leaders who are speaking within their communities. And I want to give a special credit to Candace Owens. She's knocking it out of the park and making it very, very hard for the American left to argue that their policies are really helping people. When Candace Owens points out time after time after time after time that the Democrat policies have actually hurt black America. And that, my friends, is today's first five. Well, there was big news, of course, over the weekend involving the uh, former Navy SEAL, Eddie Gallagher, and the interaction between President Trump um, and the Navy. And the uh, upshot of it was, I want to just talk briefly about this, because it really has to do um, with the idea of restoring respect in the military for the idea of a commander in chief. But in short, Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher was involved uh, serving America in the military and in the course of his service in the military, engaged in conduct, which one particular aspect was he took a selfie, you know, using his camera, took a picture of himself with a uh, dead jihadist. I think it was a teenager, a, a young boy who was a jihadist. I mean, he was an enemy, but took a picture of himself posing with his dead jihadist. This does apparently violate protocol in the military. I am not arguing about that protocol. I don't want to go through the whole story because the relevance of bringing up today is not really what he did so much as what we've come to expect for the military and what we need to restore in the military. So the particular story is that Defense Secretary Mark Esper, Defense Secretary Mark Esper fired Navy Secretary Richard Spencer. This happened yesterday. So Richard Spencer, the Secretary of the Navy, fired by his superior, Defense Secretary Mark Esper. And this is over their handling of the case of this Navy SEAL, Eddie Gallagher. He was actually accused of several things, including having been the one who killed this young jihadist. And during the course of his trial, he was found, someone else came forward and said, no, actually, he didn't kill that, that jihadist I did. But still, this guy, Eddie Gallagher, did the selfie picture with uh, this dead jihadist, which was, uh, you know, not, I guess not appropriate and understandably not appropriate under Navy protocol. So the ongoing um, uh, battle between the Navy and the president was the Navy still wanted to punish Gallagher, still wanted to punish him. President Trump had weighed in once and say, no, you know, that, that he shouldn't be punished. But then it got into the nitpicking battle over whether or not this Navy SEAL, Eddie Gallagher, as he retired, could keep his trident pin, what you get for being a serving as a Navy SEAL. 
the Navy still wanted to punish him, still wanted to take it away from him because of this conduct that they didn't like. What I want to get around to saying about this is, this is a, um, it's an extremely interesting case, really getting down to the idea that in the military, you simply must have a commander-in-chief. Somebody, somebody has the final decision-making authority. That's how it is. So backing up to the story just a little bit more, um, this, uh, the his, even him being prosecuted within the Navy was viewed by many. This Navy SEAL, Eddie Gallagher, even being prosecuted was considered by many to be inappropriate, unjust. Uh, there was also talk about the JAG, the judge advocate, um, the, you know, the lawyers in the military, the, J the JAG, they're called the JAG, um, Judge Advocate General stands for uh, their misconduct during the trial, including things like electronically spying on defense attorneys. I mean, the Navy decided we're going to get this guy, we're going to make an example of him. So there was misconduct viewed by many within the, the prosecution of Eddie Gallagher. And then moving forward, um, even after in the trial that came out that somebody else came forward and said, no, Eddie Gallagher didn't kill that guy, I did. They still got him, found him guilty related to his taking of this selfie. So he's the, uh, so then they had a, uh, the military wanted to go forward and punish him, take away this trident pin. And it became a power struggle, a, I mean, which there should not be in the chain of command, but a power struggle between Navy Secretary Richard Spencer and President Trump. To capture the summary of it was, President Trump had tweeted things, stated things that he didn't like about the way this case was being handled. The Navy seemed to have the attitude of, until we get a direct order telling us to back off from Eddie Gallagher, we're gonna keep going after him. And so, the, and there was even talk, and I guess the, the um, Gallagher, not Gallagher, but the um, Spencer is denying this, this what I'm about to tell you, but there was a story out saying that Spencer basically went to the White House and said, you know, back off President Trump from hassling us in the Navy about how to deal with Gallagher or, or I might resign. Now he says, I never said that, but the bottom line was he was finally forced to resign yesterday. And here's a point I want to make about our military and this case. You can read a lot more about it. There are several links to, this, to several stories related to this on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down under list of links. You can read several different stories related to this uh, Navy SEAL. But here's the bottom line. I completely understand and actually can believe it's reasonable that people in the chain of command in the Navy decided that this conduct should not be permitted, it had to be punished in some way. You can't have our Navy SEALs or other people in the military taking selfies, which essentially is mocking the enemy. I could see they maybe thought it was actually a way that you would provoke the enemy. You may provoke attacks on troops over wherever they are because you're going to have this picture out on social media and the jihadists are going to see, look at this, they're mocking this, this jihadist. I mean, you could see where it may be considered inappropriate that you may actually endanger troops because you're going to have you know, other people, the jihadists type see this picture and find it offensive that you want to have chain of command this guy understood he wasn't supposed to do that and they have to hold him accountable they have very reasonable arguments on their side about the people who wanted to prosecute Gallagher and who wanted to continue to cause him to have some penalty for taking the selfie with a jihadist on the other hand there is actually a chain of command in the military and the president of the United States is always the commander-in-chief.
It's in the Constitution. It's been true since the founding of our country. It is the only way you can have order in the military. It's the only way you can have a final decision-making authority. Somebody has to be it. And once that person has decided, you can't have underlings below that commander-in-chief challenging him, undermining him, saying, it was almost like they were saying, well, he didn't say, mother, may I? He didn't say it in the proper, President Trump didn't use the right language. He didn't say it in an order. And there's a great piece, actually, you might want to read. It's also on our website um, by um, Kurt Schlichter, who's talking about when you give, Kurt Schlichter, when you give an order in the military, it, it could be whether, whether you directly say, you are hereby ordered to do X, or a commanding officer saying, this kitchen needs to be a little bit cleaner, or the barracks are a mess, or you know these barracks should look neater. Whatever way they speak, once it's clear what the commanding officer is saying you're supposed to do, you just have to do it. You can't sit back and say, well, Trump didn't say it in a direct order manner. He only put a tweet out, and we're not going to comply. In fact, there was a statement by one of the, um, in fact, this uh, Schlichter piece, and others are saying, you know, there should be more than just this one guy, more than just Navy Secretary Richard Spencer fired over this because all of them were trying to, more or less trying to protect the proceeding and continue going after Gallagher after President Trump had made it clear, I want you to drop this. And so there was one particular piece, Rear Admiral Charlie Brown, Chief of Information, after reading Trump's tweet um, uh, about this case said, the Navy follows lawful orders of the president. We will do so in case of an order to stop the administrative review of SOC Gallagher's professional qualifications. We are aware of the president's tweet and we're awaiting further guidance. This is Rear Admiral Charlie Brown saying to the president, I know what you want. I know what you meant by your tweet. I know you don't really want to have us to continue prosecuting Gallagher, but since you didn't say it in the right way, or you didn't give it in a way that I can agree as a direct order, we're just going to keep marching on. And so President Trump, uh, you know, did finally win the day with this. But you know, I want to get to the other um, piece of this related to the military was. We really are in a struggle in this era in our military, in part because of what happened under President Obama and his service when he was commander in chief. And just like President Trump being commander in chief, he gets to be in charge of the military. So did President Obama. So we had eight years of President Obama doing his social justice warrior, you know, social experimentation, petri dish treatment of the U.S. military. He had, and just in case you've forgotten these things that, that you had a, um, a uh, with President Obama, during President Obama's era, because he wanted to radically transform America, radically undermine the U.S. military, radically weaken America's position, President Obama purged at least 197 officers out of the military over just a five-year period. Because he wanted people, President Obama did not want the warrior military leader, the warrior leader who stands up for America. He did not like people who had backbone and strength and courage and were going to fight for America. And frankly, a lot of people have that background courage, you know, background and, and backbone and courage to fight for America mindset did not really want to play games or play ball with the idea that Obama had of turning the military into this, you know, social experiment related to transgenderism and funding transgenderism and people should be allowed to serve in the military even though they're in the middle of transition and all the other 
junk that President Obama tried to infiltrate our military with. You had people in the military didn't like it. President Obama, some of them, I'm sure, maybe most of the ones he removed were people he knew didn't like his policies. The point is, what President Trump now has in front of him is a military where many of the warrior leaders are gone, where you have now military leaders who survived, assuming they're senior enough to be admirals and generals, they survived the eight years of Obama. They may not be on the same page with President Trump. President Trump has to deal with the military as it is when Obama was done purging all the warriors or, or many warriors out of it. He's got to deal with the military now. And again, not just in a specific case, as in this case, say, I'm the commander in chief and this is what has to happen. Really what President Trump needs to do is a far deeper thing. He's reasserting with the role of the military, the meaning of the military, the way the military has to fight. And he's saying, if I say you're done hassling Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher, you're done hassling him. And don't keep picking at him until you bring about ultimately the firing of this one guy, Richard Spencer. So it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a battle in our military to number one understand to wrap up this topic, but to number one understand whoever the commander in chief is is the commander in chief. The Navy officials playing games with uh, being picayune over whether President Trump actually precisely issued an order, or did he kind of say, "I don't like this." These are people who have a little bit more of the, I don't have to listen to him because I don't like him attitude. President Trump needs to reassert, has been reasserting the American military's importance in our country, the importance of its being funded and armed and staffed and carrying forward very much in the, in the many, many ways in which President Trump was draining the swamp and putting America back on track. He's putting the role of the military back on track and saying, you know, we're not going to be, this is not about a social experiment, uh, petri dish uh, military where we're going to run every single possible uh, left-wing social justice warrior uh, latest uh, tactic into our military. The military is there to be strong, to fight, to defend America, to keep America safe, and to follow the orders of the commander-in-chief. So glad President Trump stood strong and very glad this, this reasserting of the role of the presidency and the right role of the military is another one of many battles President Trump is undertaking and has done very well with. Okay, I want to turn to something, you know, obviously news in Washington is endlessly about the impeachment and when are we going to get the Inspector General's report, you know, the big report, and when are we going to get the, um, you know, the smaller report, we're going to do the uh, impeachment strategy, I guess, next. Okay, so the Democrats' impeachment strategy, um, I want to um, talk a little bit about this, uh, where we stand on impeachment. I think that the Democrats in the House the smart ones, which do include Nancy Pelosi. She is intelligent. She's wrong on issues in my view, but she's intelligent. She's savvy. She's been there for decades. She can see this impeachment is going horribly for the Democrats, regardless of all the touting and blowing their own horn coming out of Schiff and some of the Democrats, it's going terribly. It's not playing well in Peoria. It's not playing well with the all important centrist voters. You know, you got the Democrats who are going to, they want impeachment. Uh, you know, the, the core hardcore leftists do. Republicans don't want impeachment at all. And you have the middle you got to try to deal with. Nancy Pelosi has already figured out this is not playing well. So a Washington Post reporter uh, gave, put out a story essentially saying they're hearing behind the scenes that more and more Democrats are getting cold feet about the impeachment. They don't want to have to vote to impeach a president 
when they're from a district or a state that went with President Trump. They don't want to have to do it. Nancy Pelosi's actually worried about not getting her House majority of Democrats to vote yes on impeachment. She's not sure she can get those votes or she can see if she arm twists some of the Democrats and say, you're going to vote for it, that she's kind of shooting herself in the foot because those people may lose their election in 2020. So she's struggling with that. And she's got to figure an exit strategy that's reasonable. I mean, what is it she can do? She can all of a sudden announce one day that, you know, we've looked into it and there's nothing here to impeach. We got to just go home now. She can't do that. She cannot do the, it's all over. I, we were wrong. You know, we looked into it. He's a swell guy. We're going to move forward. She doesn't have that option. She may have some middle ground option, like saying something like, you know, we, we're listening to our voters, and while we clearly view the president's conduct to be worthy of impeachment, you know, we feel we respect the American voters, we let the American voters decide in the next election cycle. You know, we stand strong, it was right to bring these hearings, but we'll leave it in the hands of the American voters. That gives, that's a you know, possible means by which she can backpedal out of the impeachment. Adam Schiff would be out of his mind if she did that, because this is his day in the sun, that he is now the most, you know, one of the most famous members of Congress, and he'd be out of his mind if she did that, as would Jerry Nadler, who is actually not involved. You know, we have Schiff running these hearings on impeachment in the House Intelligence Committee. We don't have it in the House Judiciary Committee chaired by Nadler because Nadler is really out of control and she can't even stand the idea of having him on national television over and over. So they are in a pickle. I think they're looking for a way to get out of this gracefully in some way, I think, deferential to the American voters. A couple other stories to understand. Devin Nunes is now going to sue the Republican Congressman Devin Nunes, ranking member of Intelligence Committee. He is suing CNN and Daily Beast, which is one of those radical left wing, never go to it. Don't listen to CNN and don't listen to Daily Beast uh, unless you want to know oppo research, what are the crazies thinking. But Devin Nunes, a very, um, he's just an, an enormously impressive individual in Congress. He is a ranking member of intelligence. He's a committee. He's from California. He's very reasoned. He's very uh, well-researched. He's very logical. He's not a, you know, he, he's not a flamethrower at all. And he's had enough with CNN and Daily Beast, not because they're biased, because you can't really sue them for bias. You can't sue them for bias. He's saying he's suing them for actually false scandalous statements. And I'm sure he's getting plenty of advice to tell him, you know, he's a public figure. And so the standard you have to meet when you sue people for defamation, the standard is very high when you are a public official. It's not just, you know, did they say something about me and it wasn't true and it hurt me. That's the average Joe. Impeachment standard. When you're as famous as he is, you have to show clearly reckless behavior, clearly reckless conduct on the part of these two news outlets, and there are many more, that actually publishing things not only were false, but clearly reckless, like they knew they were false and they ran with it anyway. If he thinks he's got that, which he must, he wouldn't be talking about suing them. Again, another reason Democrats are very, very nervous. The other big thing I want to tell you about, um, we were at a conference over the weekend. Uh, my husband went to a national security conference. And to say that um, it was interesting doesn't begin to describe. But I just want to mention a couple of things I learned. Um, and these are you know, people really heavily involved in Washington. Number one, 
the House members, in addition to worrying if they could even get the impeachment vote, they can see what's going to happen in the U.S. Senate. They can see that the Senate, still controlled by Republicans, although some of them are fairly shaky, but there are Republican, are going to call um, Adam Schiff as one example. They're going to call the Democrat chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, and put questions to him, which I'm gonna get to a moment what he had to say about it, but they're gonna put questions to him like, when did you first meet with the whistleblower? You or anyone on your staff, when was the first contact? What did you say to him? All the emails between Schiff and Schiff's staff and the whistleblower and the whistleblower's helpers, all of those emails are gonna be discoverable. The Senate will actually use the rules of evidence, which the House is contorting to their own means, to their own interests, but the Senate will use those so they can get onto. What is it that, Adam Schiff, you knew, and when did you know it, and, and why did you let this go forward when you knew this or that? All the contacts he and his staff have had with the whistleblower will come out. All of Hunter Biden's wrongdoing, Hunter Biden's conduct in the Ukraine with Burisma, how come you are getting a salary of $83,000 a month or whatever, some people say 50,000 a month, when you knew nothing about energy, nothing about the Ukraine, you knew nothing, you had nothing to bring to the table except your last name because your dad was vice president. These are the kind of questions Hunter Biden will face. These are the questions Joe Biden might face. The actual bringing to the floor of the Senate for public hearings to have these people describe their conduct inside the Ukraine. All of it relevant because the House is saying that the, if they do impeach, they're saying President Trump's conduct with the Ukraine, his withholding or apparently withholding of aid to the Ukraine until they would agree to go back and open the investigation into Burisma, into Hunter Biden, that they closed in response to Joe Biden twisting their arm in 2016. All that's going to come out. And this is not something the Democrats do not want at all. The Democrats are trying to say in the House that the, the uh, dealings between Trump and Zelensky of the Ukraine, all of this about the uh, you know, withholding aid can kind of be in isolation. Like right here, we'll talk about this, but we can't talk about why President Trump was curious about Burisma. You can't talk about that. You can't talk about Biden. You can't talk about Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or Burisma. All we can talk about is, did Trump try to withhold aid to the Ukraine to force him to investigate this again? So two things that kind of came out this weekend at this conference I want to comment on, um, and then I'll go back to one more thing about the Senate. But one is that, to get really clear, because people talk a lot about, well, you know, Trump was dealing with Zelensky and in the Ukraine, and he was trying to twist the Ukrainian's arms, arm to look into Burisma again in order to fight a potential political opponent in the 2020 election cycle. But that is inaccurate. Biden's involvement in the Ukraine in 2016, the investigation already, the criminal investigation already being underway in the Ukraine, President Trump is dealing with the Ukrainians, understanding that American tax dollars were being used in this whole mess over in the Ukraine, the corruption in the Ukraine. Trump trying to get to the bottom of it, 
It's not the same thing when Trump is saying, I want you Ukrainians, I want you to get to the bottom of this Burisma thing because it involves U.S. tax dollars. It involves corruption, money from the State Department going to the NGOs funded by Soros, all mixed up with this corrupt official, money laundering, money coming to America. The Democrats are basically trying to say that because Biden chose to run, Joe Biden chose to run for president in 2020, that makes everything he ever did subject to, that you, you cannot ask about it, that everything he ever did is somehow untouchable in terms of the Ukraines and President Trump and Zelensky because now he's running for president. It's a very different thing if Trump was fishing like Mueller was fishing to create something out of nothing to get Trump with the Russians President Trump isn't fishing. He's not on a fishing expedition. Everyone already knew about this. Ukrainians knew, Burisma knew, America knew, the State Department knew. He's saying this already existing knowledge of wrongdoing, corruption, money laundering, I want you to get to the bottom of it. It's not the same, and so I, I wanna be clear. Yes, Biden's a candidate, and Trump was looking for dirt, but the Democrats try to, are trying to say, you know, Trump isn't allowed to do that because Biden is a candidate. And actually, he is allowed to do that, and he needs to do that. He needs to insist on it. The second point, I've made this point before, and I'll make it again very, very clearly. I actually asked a very high-ranking person in Washington over the weekend. There is no reason that President Trump or the Republicans should concede the point that even if President Trump conditioned aid to the Ukraine to their agreement to dig in and figure out what happened with Burisma, there's no reason to agree that that is an impeachable offense. It is not follow. And this person and others have said it to the media on the Republican side. We seem to have fallen into the trap, especially some of the spokespeople for President Trump, of trying to say there was no quid pro quo, no quid pro quo, so that's the whole question. It doesn't matter if there was. That is not an impeachable offense. We've got to get off that no quid pro quo is the deciding line, because if we concede that, the Democrats will say, well, you know, this person over here said it kind of sounded like quid pro quo, and this guy said, yeah, and you put these seven little pieces of evidence together, look, it's quid pro quo. We can't concede that. So uh, last thing on the Senate trial, before I move to my next story, last thing on the Senate trial, though, was that President Trump actually had lunch with Mitt Romney in the White House and Susan Collins to discuss impeachment. And I'm going to guess, even though Mitt Romney has been just an impossibly, almost treasonous level representative of the Republican Party in the U.S. Senate, Romney emerged from that lunch and actually spoke well of President Trump, said they had, I forgot his term, they had a, oh, he had lunch with, Romney said lunch with Trump was delightful. I think Trump's telling him, you need to defend the Republican Party in the Senate. I don't know what happened with that lunch, but I thought the fact that lunch together was a good thing. Okay, two last quick stories, my very fine friends. So the Inspector General report, actually, the one that's going to be coming out, is a huge one, not yet out yet. Last week, last Tuesday, I think, the, a portion of the Inspector General report did come out. And this was a portion of the investigation looking into the FBI's handling of the, using the acronym CHS, Confidential Human Sources. Basically, the Inspector General is looking into what processes the FBI followed to protect 
the dignity, the integrity, and the accuracy of these confidential human sources, one of whom obviously uh, is the dossier author, but there are other people too that the FBI uses. And buried in this 63-page report of the Inspector General, just about how the FBI complied or didn't comply with law and standards in their confidential human sources, uh, four huge findings came out. I can't embellish on them, maybe well another day, but I urge you to read this. Again, go to our website, americacanbetalk.org, under shows, drop down list of links. One is, they very obviously, the FBI very obviously buried evidence within the FBI to keep it from the court's discovery. They buried evidence about how they went about handling these again, CHS, confidential human sources. And they did things like, um, so I, I'm sorry, I don't have time to give the examples. I want to urge you, but that was one thing. They, try, they avoided then, the FBI avoided uh, the putting information they should have put in these reports so that later prosecutors like Mueller could not comply with the Brady standard about providing exculpatory evidence um, or the Giglio standard, uh, which is all, the same kind of standard the Supreme Court uh, issues, basically saying you have to make information available to people you're prosecuting if it can be used to impeach a witness for the prosecution. So that information was hidden by the FBI in their processes dealing with the confidential human sources dealing with Trump. Russia collusion. This makes it impossible for future agents to have any idea if these people, these confidential human sources that the FBI was using, such as Christopher Steele, the guy who wrote the dossier, which is now in complete shatters and, and disrepute. Um, third, the FBI did not keep track of, name, track down, and identify and provide information about Christopher Steele's subsources. So much of the the uh, you know the dossier that was used to get the FISA warrants is Christopher Steele saying, "Well, someone told me, and, and someone else told me, and someone else told me." The FBI is supposed to track those people down to say, "Who told you? Who is this? What is the basis for their credibility?" That was not done by the FBI in this handling of the Steele dossier. They kind of ignored their obligation to dig in, understand, and report on the subsources. Um, and so, and then I guess one last quick thing is that the uh, this Inspector general report this this the shortened the the one issue inspector general report also pointed out that there was a lot of uh, connection and communication inappropriate between reporters and FBI sources actually swapping information and we all saw that many times uh, during the course of Mueller so I won't say any further about it last story very very quickly is the uh, billionaire uh, Bloomberg is now in the race and I'll just tell you two quick things about um, we'll talk about him more, but Bloomberg is now in the race, former New York City mayor. And I'll tell you uh, like three quick things about him. One is, this is an opportunist politician. He was a Democrat lifelong until he ran for mayor when he was Republican. And then while he was mayor, he was Republican, but he switched to Democrat. And then he ran again as an independent, uh, but on the Republican ticket. And now he's back to running as a Democrat. He's an opportunist politician. He has no core. Second, he has billions. He's a B billionaire billionaire. He is already announced he's spending $34 million more than the other candidates even have on hand. He's spending out of his own money to get ads out there early, pushing for himself. I will get to other things about him. We're gonna have to come back to him another day. But if you read his website, what he lists as his strong issues, he's into radical gun control, 
I mean, he's, he's a leftist as they come, complaining about income inequality, talking about having to fix income inequality, uh, very much into government-controlled health care. He's a leftist posing as a moderate, trying to say, ignore all those crazies over there. He's a moderate. I will tell you what I think is going to happen uh, at this point in the Democrat uh, primary, which is none of the current candidates are going to be the ultimate choice. That's my opinion. I mean, if anyone who's currently running becomes a candidate, it'll be Elizabeth Warren. But I think either Hillary or Michelle Obama are going to get in. And I'm sure the powers that be in that party would much rather have it be Michelle Obama than Hillary Clinton. But I think both of those ladies think they could beat Trump. And many people in the party agree that those two ladies are better candidates than any of the other ones running. And Bloomberg's going to discover, in my opinion, like Romney did, you can have all the money in the world, all the money in the world. And if you're not likable, which he is not, if you don't resonate with the people, you can spend all your mill and spend your billions. Go right ahead. The American people are not going to jump up and support you. And now, my friends, I'm going to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so we start with our, the black vote moving to Trump. This is even bigger for the future of America than is even being reported. It's not just about Trump personally. It's about awakening to policies that work and decades of policies that don't work. Blexit is real and substantive. It's not a cult campaign. Jobs do matter. They're therapeutic across a range of social ills. Everyone can participate in the American dream. We just need freedom and a government willing to get out of the way Government dependence is not healthy for anyone, and that's what the Democrats run on, creating and deepening dependence among the people on the government. There are no genuine or lasting leftist constituencies. Awareness of the universal power of liberty is going to uh, build a solid majority for the Republicans. This Navy secretary fired chain of command. Reasonable people, including veterans, can disagree on what constitutes the right military justice applied to the particulars of Gallagher's case. President Trump, too, has a reasonable view of the situation. But at the end of the day, ultimately, personalities don't matter in the military chain of command. There's only one commander-in-chief, and his decision is final. Obama exercised that authority, widely calling the warrior class, which means removing the warrior class of leaders from the military, Subordinate officers follow orders and implement higher-up decisions. Their option for strident disagreement with the commander-in-chief is resignation. Justice for Gallagher may be debatable. Spencer deserved to be fired. On Horowitz's report, leaks from the Attorney General, the uh, Inspector General Horowitz, upcoming FISA abuses. I don't even talk about that. There's leaks galore, and that's, that needs to end. But and there's also the criminal referral. There's Klein Smith. I didn't even get to that story, but anyway. There is a criminal referral by this inspector general to this guy, Kleinsmith, for changing, changing the content of one of the supporting documents, or more than one supporting document, that led to the issue of the FISA warrants. Um, so apparent blind hailing of steel and subsources by the FBI, all the things I mentioned, Horace's report is saying this was bad news, not the way uh, that the FBI is supposed to function. The FBI functioned, my words, not Horowitz, more like an advocacy group against Trump than a national law enforcement agency with responsibility to enforce the law. Still hopeful that we have Inspector General Horowitz will not deliver a whitewash or hand slap. Stay tuned for that. And Dems seeking an impeachment strategy. Even in a wobbly GOP Senate, the process changes materially. 
Schiff is going to be a material witness. He'll be questioned. The whistleblower will be identified and questioned. Hunter Biden can be required to testify or take the fifth. The Democrat House reps are getting cold feet. Nunes is suing mainstream media for false stories, not biased opinions, false stories. The reality remains Trump was and is right to demand Ukrainian investigation because evidence of that corruption is overwhelming. This is not the fabrication of campaign dirt such as Hillary did with the Russia hoax. Biden doesn't get a pass by running for president in 2020 and when Bloomberg and all I can say is he was a nanny state guy who banned, who tried to ban large sodas and the court struck that down. Patronizing liberal, he condescends to ignorant masses. He already apologized for one anti-crime initiative that made New York, New York safer, the stop and frisk. He's not radical enough for the left-based. He's also an old white guy. He's likely to fall flat, just like billionaire Tom Steyer. Trump haters have never grasped how Trump connects with the American people, but they'll learn because Bloomberg will not connect no matter how much money he spends. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Listen every single day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I would so appreciate it if you would like this Facebook page, share this Facebook page. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. I love your comments. I try to answer them. If you're on Twitter, please follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. I love speaking up every day for this extraordinary, unique greatness of this country, which is why I do this show, to speak up for America, because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you-